Good morning, everybody. That's your opportunity to say good morning back. Okay, good morning, everyone. <laughs> You're not very enthusiastic today. Shall we have some coffees before we start the sermon today? Would you like to have that? Okay, why don't you take a seat? Thank you. Well, I hope you're doing well and I hope you're keeping warm uh, today. Great to be back at Praise Centre. Now, as, as you know, your church is currently doing a series. Oh, oh sorry. Well, I thought I was being assaulted by someone then. Uh, I'll, I'll just wait. I'll wait for this. Thank you. As you know, your church has been doing a series on the book of 2 Samuel. And uh, I've been given the topic of 2 Samuel 3, verses 1 to 21. And my title this morning, and it'll be on the screen behind me there, is uh, Making Peace in a Time of War. Making Peace in a Time of War. Now, when your pastor first gave me the text to preach from, I read it a couple of times and thought, what am I going to get? Out of this. It's one of those really bloodthirsty passages in Scripture. But as you begin to read a little bit more, you find out there's a lot more to it today, uh, also. Our text contains all the elements of a Hollywood blockbuster. You've got things like strong character, ambition, sex, accusation, power, politics, forgiveness, and vengeance. What more could you want in a sermon than all of those things there as well? And there are many different ways to have a look at a story in, in the Scripture. But I'm going to look at this passage today from the perspective of forgiveness of reconciliation, of making peace with people who maybe have hurt or offended us. Now, I ask the question, why is this really important? And when someone hurts us, we have a choice. We have a choice to forgive that person, or if we don't make that choice, we have already made a choice to become bitter. And forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. In fact, it may be many choices, a daily choice for quite some time. And if we're waiting for the feeling to forgive to come, it will never come. Forgiveness is a conscious and intentional act of our will. And our feelings take time uh, to heal after we've made the choice to forgive those who have hurt us. And forgiveness is a hard choice to make. It takes courage, it takes willpower, but it is a liberating choice. And if we choose not to forgive, the offence in our heart will fester and ferment. And as we'll see in the story, unforgiveness sometimes leads to vengeance. So we must be very, very careful to keep a grateful and a forgiving heart. And an aspect of forgiving someone is to make peace with those who have offended or hurt us. And we should do so whenever it's within our power to do so. If we choose not to make peace, then when the opportunity is there, then we are in for a disastrous consequences as we're about to see in this story today. Now, I won't read the whole text because 21 verses is a long time to read, but we'll be working our way through it. 
But before we begin to have a look at the text itself, let me just highlight a few of the principal characters in this story today. Now, the background is that Saul, who was Israel's first king, has died. And in this story, there are two contenders to be king over the whole nation. The first king in the story is a man called David, who at this stage had been anointed over the single tribe of Judah. Now remember, Israel had 12 tribes and David was the king over one tribe, the tribe of Judah, even though many years before Samuel had anointed him to be the king over the whole nation. The second king in the story is a man called Ishbosheth. And if you're looking for a name for your next child, there it is, Ishbosheth. And, and he was Saul's surviving son. And he'd been anointed over the remaining 11 tribes of Israel. Ishbosheth was appointed because he was Saul's son. And his appointment as king was the way to maintain Saul's dynasty. David ruled from the Judean city of Hebron, Ishbosheth from the northern city of Mahanaim. And these two kings had two commanders over their respective armies. And these two men are absolutely central to the whole story. These two men are both ruthless and ambitious in their own ways. Both are mighty warriors. The first commander is a man called Abner. And Abner was the commander of Ish Ishbosheth's army, that is the army of Israel. He, Abner, was instrumental in having Ishbosheth appointed as king over the 11 tribes. Abner was a man who made things happen. Abner was the man or the power behind the throne. But who was this man the Bible calls Abner? Abner was a cousin of King Saul and served as the commander of Saul's army. Do you remember that time when David went out to face Goliath and Saul turned to Abner and said, Whose son is that young man? And Abner did not know. Abner would eat at Saul's table. And when Saul was pursuing David, Abner slept right beside Saul to protect him while the other soldiers surrounded them. And there's that story about when David and Abishai snuck into Saul's sleeping camp and stole Saul's spear and water jug. David could easily have killed King Saul, but he would not touch Saul because he was anointed and appointed by the Lord. And it was to Abner that David called out the next morning asking why he hadn't protected Saul. And so Abner knew that David was a righteous man. The second commander in the story today is a man called Joab. And Joab is one of the men I deeply dislike in Scripture. I do not like this man at all for reasons that you're going to find out later. I dislike him immensely. But who was Joab? Well, according to Scripture, Joab was a nephew of David. Joab's mother was David's sister. And Joab served as the commander of David's army. He was a skilled commander and mighty warrior, attested by the many victories that he had. But his apparent devotion to David was a cover-up for his vindictiveness and his ruthless cruelty. And this became apparent as the story 
unfold. Now, significant to our story today, Joab had two, two, two brothers. There was Abishai and there was Asahel. Now, these two, two commanders, Abner and Joab, had had a confrontation in the previous chapter with, with a tragic outcome. Abner, with some of the fighting men from Israel, met Joab and some of David's fighting men at the pool of Gibeon. And both groups of fighting men sat on either side of the pool. And Abner turned to Joab and said, chapter 2, verse 14, let's have some of the young men get up and fight hand to hand in front of us. Nowadays, we would have a soccer match or a badminton match. But back then, they were going to fight. And so they each chose 12 men who fought brutally. And both these designated fighters grabbed their opponent by the head and then thrust a dagger into their side. And all 24 of these young men fell dead. But that skirmish seemed to have sparked a fierce battle between the people of Israel and David's followers. But David's men prevailed. And Joab's younger brother Asahel began to chase Abner, the commander of Israel's army. And Scripture decides, describes Asahel as, in chapter 2, uh, verse 18, fleet-footed as a wild gazelle. In other words, this man, he knew how to stay on the ground. He was absolutely determined in his pursuit. And he would not turn from the right or to the left. Could I just ask you please not to be on your phone while I'm preaching God's word? I find it a bit dis disrespectful of God's word. If you could tune into this, that would be really great. Thank you. And so he, he would not turn to the left or to the right in the, in the pursuit of Abner. And Abner reasoned with him and then warned Asahel to stop his pursuit, but he would not. And in chapter 2, verse number 23, we, we read, So Abner thrust the butt of his spear into Asahel's stomach, and the spear came out through his back. It's pretty gross, isn't it? And he fell there and died on the spot. So Joab and his other brother, Abishai, continued to pursue Abner until sunset. But some of the Benjaminites rallied around Abner and took their stand. And Abner somehow diffused the situation and both commanders returned to their respective kings. But Joab had not forgotten nor forgiven what Abner had done. And this is really important to the rest of our story. And that's where we come to the text that I've been given today. Chapter 3, verse number 1 that reads, The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And with all of that background in mind, then the text begins to describe a fallout between Ishbosheth, the king of Israel, and Abner, the commander of his army. Ishbosheth questioned Abner about why he slept with Saul's concubine, Rizpah. Let me read this in verses 6 and 7 of our text. This is what it says. During the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner had strengthened his position in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine named Rizpah, daughter of Ai, and Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why did you sleep with my father's concubine? 
And this wasn't just an accusation. This was a direct question. And it seems likely that Abner did indeed sleep with, Riz, with Rizpah. And Abner didn't deny it. Ishbosheth seemed to consider this as Abner maneuvering somehow to usurp the kingdom from him. So he questioned him. He called him out. He confronted him. And Abner did not like being spoken to like this by Ishbosheth at all. And in verse number eight, it says he was angry and he answered, Am I a dog's head on Judah's side? This very day, I am loyal to the house of your father Saul and to his family and friends. I haven't handed you over to David, David, yet now you accuse me of an offence involving this woman. In other words, what he was saying was, who are you? to talk to me like this. Who do you think you are? After all I've done for you, don't you remember that I am the one that installed you as king over the whole nation? And after his tirade, Abner's allegiance to the house of Saul changed. And Abner then committed himself to use his considerable influence to turn the other 11 tribes to hand over the kingdom to David. Verses 9 and 10 read, May God deal with Abner, be it ever so severely, if I do not do for David what the Lord had promised to him on oath and transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul to establish David's throne over Israel and Judah. And despite his primary allegiance being to King Saul and his own tribe. Abner recognised in his heart of hearts that God was removing the kingdom from the house of Saul and giving it to the house of David. And Abner was going to make it happen, or so he thought. Ishbosheth suddenly realised he wasn't as powerful as he once thought. And he backed off really quickly. He realised that he'd overstepped the boundaries of authority that he had. And in verse 11 we read, Ishbosheth did not dare to say another word to Abner because he was afraid of him. So Abner wasted no time at all. He sent messages to David asking for an agreement. And David replied affirmatively, but on one condition. And the condition was that Abner bring David's first wife, Michal, Saul's daughter, with him. And this, this was done even though her new husband wasn't very happy about it until Abner said, hey, just go home, stop crying and, and go home. Abner sub subsequently met with the elders of all of Israel, the 11 tribes, seeking their support to make David king. And then he met with the Benjaminites in person. This was more delicate because Saul had been from the tribe of Benjamin and there were tribal loyalties at play. However, he seems to have been very, very persuasive. Verse 19 goes on to say, Abner went to Hebron to tell David everything that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin wanted to do. David received him well. In verse number 20 it says, uh, verse 19, Abner went to Hebron to tell David everything that Israel and the whole household wanted to do. And David received him, verse 20, when Abner, who had 20 men with him, came to David at Hebron, David prepared a feast for him and his men. Now this is where it starts to become applicable to our lives. David received 
Abner. Not on the basis of Abner's past, which was rep- reprehensible, nor on the basis of Abner's integrity, which was dubious. Rather, David received him because he, David, was a gracious and a generous king. It's astonishing that David did not have any recriminations at all. In fact, on the contrary, he prepared a great feast. David reconciled with Abner, even though Abner had murdered his nephew, even though Abner had been fighting against him, even though Abner had been resisting him right to this very point. And David reconciled with him, not because Abner was a good man, but because of the goodness in the heart of David. And before we go on in the story, isn't that how the Lord as our King treats us? Even though we, like Abner, were serving the wrong king and we were seeking to serve ourselves, we then came to the right king to seek to get right with him. And we have no basis on which to come to him at all. Not our good works, not our ethnicity, not our class, not our religion. We came as we were and we were fallen and we were broken and we were guilty and we were ashamed. But Jesus accepted us, not on the basis of of what we were, not on the basis of what we had done, but on the basis of who He is and what He did upon the cross for us. That He bore the shame and the pain of our sins in His own body on the cross. He died the death that we deserved and then He was raised from the dead to break the power of sin and Satan in and over our own lives. He made a way by which we could be reconciled with a holy God. And this is described in Colossians 1, verse number 21 that says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. We are now forgiven and accepted and we have peace with God unconditionally. We have been received into the divine presence by the great King. But there is an implication that comes from that, that those who have been forgiven must forgive others. In this vein, remember what the Apostle Apostle Paul said to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4, verse number 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And added to this are the words of Paul to the Colossian church, chapter 3, verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And when you put both of those verses together, the unmissable application for our lives is that those who've been freely forgiven by God must freely forgive others, even if it means forgiving the undeserving and the unworthy, because this is what Jesus did for us. Even if that person never says sorry, we must forgive. And wherever possible, reconcile. And whenever it's within our power, to make peace. But back to David having a feast with Abner. 
David's reception of Abner so impacted him that 2 Samuel 3, verse number 21 of our text records, Then Abner said, said to David, Let me go at once and assemble all Israel for my lord the king, so that they may make a compact with you, and that you may rule over all that your heart desires. In chapter 3, verse number 21, ends with it this sentence, So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. Abner went in shalom. He had peace with, with David. David had reconciled with him. However, Joab and Abner, there was anything but peace. Joab had, Joab had not forgiven nor forgotten for what, what Abner had done to his brother. And no sooner had Abner left the courts of David than Joab and his men returned from raiding and they came back with large amounts of plunder. And again, the narrative records that Abner left in peace and someone told Joab that Abner had left in peace. And this infuriated Joab. He was livid. How could David do such a thing? And he brazenly and aggressively confronted David. And in verses 24 and 25, Joab goes into David and says, What have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why did you let him go? And now he is gone. You know Abner, son of Ner. He came to deceive you and observe your movements to find out everything that you are doing. But surprisingly, there is no record of a reply from David. We're not sure whether David chose not to respond, but more likely, Joab was in such a wild state of mind that he stormed out in fury. And completely unhinged, David, so Joab, I should say, then planned his, his revenge. Verse number 26 tells us that Joab sent messages after Abner and they brought him back from the well of Syrah. And importantly, verse number 26 says, David did not know. So Joab was acting without David's knowledge or sanction. Maybe Abner reasoned that because he left David in peace, Joab would show goodwill and treat him according to his commander-in-chief's intentions. Obviously, Abner did not fear Joab or suspect in any way what Joab had planned. Verse number 27, a tragic verse reads, Now when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the gateway as though to speak with him privately and there to avenge the blood of his brother Asahel, Joab stabbed him in the stomach and he died. Although Abner had left David in peace, Joab's quest for revenge overrode his obligations as a soldier to obey his king. And out of vengeance, Joab murdered Abner. What does this mean for us? What does this story mean for us here today? Let me repeat what I said right at the start. When someone hurts us, when someone offends us, we have a choice. We can either forgive that person or we have made a choice to become bitter. And if we choose not to forgive that person, that offence will, will begin to fester and ferment in our hearts. And toxic unforgiveness can sometimes lead to vengeance. 
Now, I'm not saying that you're, you're going to go out and murder the person who offended you. But I am saying that sometimes we treat people with an equal force of bitterness and vengeance. We want to get even. We want justice. We don't want them to get away with what they have got away with. We want them to suffer as we have suffered. And when that happens, we have a choice. We can either respond like David or we can respond like Joab. David forgave Abner. Joab did not. David reconciled with Abner. Joab would not. David made peace with Abner, whereas Joab refused to. And I want to ask you today, what are you going to do with your Abner? What will you do with those who have offended you? And let me just talk briefly about this topic of vengeance in the Word of God. In Scripture, vengeance is the prerogative of God alone. In the Old Testament, Moses, when he wrote a psalm in what we know is in Deuteronomy 32, focuses several times on vengeance. And speaking of the enemies of Israel who are devoted to pagan gods, the psalm portrays God crying out in verse number 35 of that chapter, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And the Lord then revealed his compassion for those who trust in him. But then God revealed himself as the one who gives life and the one who puts to death. And then it goes on in verses 41 and 43 to say, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and repay those who hate me. Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his enemies and make atonement for his land and people. So the Old Testament was very clear that individuals are not to take the law into their own hands. They are not to take vengeance on their own. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 reads, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And this Old Testament thing is picked up by the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the church in Rome. Listen to what he says, because this is what it means for us here, here today. Romans 12, verses 17 to 21. Do not repay evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, not poison. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, it is not our prerogative to repay, but God's. It is not our responsibility to bring vengeance but God's, our responsibility in response to what Jesus has done for us upon the cross is to forgive and wherever possible to reconcile and to make peace with those who have hurt us. We must forgive as the Lord has forgiven us freely and unconditionally. And one of the things that really helps us to do this is to remember this. 
No one gets away with anything in the sight of God Almighty. Let me say it again. No one, no one, including Russians right now in Ukraine, will get away with anything in the sight of God Almighty, who is the righteous and the just God. Why? Because the Bible is clear, there is a day of accountability. There is coming a day of future vengeance. And this is spelled out in Paul's letter in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. Listen to this, verses 6 and 7. God is just and he will pay back trouble to those who troubled you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. But it will not happen in this life. In fact, verse 7 goes on to say, This will happen when the Lord is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. There is coming a day when God will repay everyone for what, what they have done. Vengeance is his and his alone, but it will happen in his time at his coming according to his justice. At the moment, the day of vengeance is delayed because of what the Bible says in Romans 2, 2 verse 4, because of God's riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, he has chosen to make this day, our day, a day of opportunity, a day of salvation, a day of getting right with him. And remember too, friends, that we were once under the wrath and the vengeance of God. But 2,000 years ago, the anger and the vengeance of God Almighty became on Jesus, who became the sin offering for sinful humanity. 2 Corinthians 5 verse number 21 says, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We are no longer under God's wrath and vengeance because of our sins because Jesus has paid the price for our sins our transgressions against God and against others are no longer held against us we are forgiven but there is a prerogative here that we have got to forgive others in the same way that God has forgiven us because remember we, we, we don't have to get even with him God will on that day, vengeance is God's prerogative. He will repay in his time, in his way, according to his perfect justice. We've just got to leave it with him. So my encouragement to you is this. Be at peace with all people. Be at peace with God and be at peace with yourself. Back to our story. So Joab has just murdered Abner out of vengeance for his brother. What happened next? When David heard what Joab had done, he proclaimed his complete innocence before the Lord and he put full responsibility upon Joab's head. And then David then cursed Joab and his bloodline with running sores and leprosy and lameness and death or poverty. Man, that's a serious curse. And David gave Abner what we would call a state funeral. He got Joab to tear his clothes and to lead the procession to the burial site. And David and the people mourned and wept 
for Abner. And at the end of chapter 3, David said that he feared Joab and his brother, even though he was the anointed king. But then he said, verse number 39, May the Lord repay the evildoer according to his evil deeds. So what happened? What happened at the end of the story? What happened to all the characters in the story today? Shortly after Ab Abner was buried, King Ishbosheth was assassinated by two of his own leaders. And after that, all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and anointed him king over the whole nation. And he went on to rule over the nation for 33 years. Joab continued in his jealous and vengeful ways. Later on, David wanted to replace Joab with Amasa and make him head of the army. But Joab took Amasa aside and killed him too. And when David neared the end of his life, Joab sided with Adonijah rather than David's choice of Solomon to be the new king. So once Solomon was crowned, David gave Solomon some instructions about what to do after his death. And David reminded Solomon that, that Joab had killed Abner and Amasa in the words of 1 Kings 2 verse 5, shedding their blood in peacetime as if in battle. And David told him to deal with Joab because Joab was going to be a threat. And he told him to de deal with him. So after David's death, Solomon ordered that Joab be executed. And Solomon said to the executioner, 1 Kings 2, verse number 32, The Lord will repay him for the blood he shed. The Lord will, will, will repay him. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. And Joab was executed. Let me tie it all off by just bringing two, two applications from this quite gruesome story about what it means for us here today in the church. Lesson number one. We have to ask the question, who is our king? Where is our allegiance? Are we fully committed to Jesus, our king? Does Jesus have our complete loyalty? Are we utterly dependent upon Jesus as our king? For we all need a king who is powerful to lead us. We need a king who is able to save us from our, our enemies and give, and give us security. And no matter what we go through in this life, when Jesus is our king, all is well. If he is not our king, our lives will ultimately end in failure. I want to encourage you today, make Jesus your one and only King. But the second lesson from this story today is in regard to the Abners in our life, people who've hurt us, people who, who have offended us. Will we respond today like David or will we, we respond today like Joab? Will we make peace or will we become vengeful? My encouragement to you today would be to be like David, to forgive and wherever possible reconcile and make peace. I would urge you today, don't be vindictive in your thoughts, in your heart or with your words, but, in, in, but before the Lord as you've been freely forgiven from him to freely forgive others as well and be at peace with God and be at peace with all people and be at peace with, with, with yourself 
so that before the Lord we may walk a life and live a life of grace and forgiveness and mercy. Would you mind standing with me, please? And just with our, our eyes closed and in, in an attitude of respect and reverence for the Lord and his word today, I want to ask you, out of all that I've said, what was the one thing that was the word of the Lord to you? What's the one thing that you need to do in your life? Is Jesus your king? Have you fully surrendered to him? Is he ruling over your life? Does he have your complete allegiance? Or maybe it's to do with your abners, those who've offended you, those who've hurt you. What's your attitude like towards them? Have you forgiven them? Have you sought to reconcile? Have you sought to make peace? Just take a moment. Let the Lord just deal with your heart. And then I'll close in prayer. today that you are a gracious God that you do not treat us as our sins deserve but you look upon us with mercy I thank you for the cross I thank you for all that has been done for us and all we can do is put our faith and our trust Lord Jesus in what you have done upon the cross you have been raised from the dead it is finished and we are free and we are forgiven and we are reconciled and we thank you for that but Lord help us today Lord I pray to to deal with our abners Lord to have right relationships as best we can in our heart in our thoughts Lord in our attitudes that Lord we would have a forgiving and a gracious spirit towards those abners who've sinned against us. Help us, Lord, to make peace, maybe even in a time of war. I pray that, Lord, your grace would be poured out upon each and every person and that, Lord, today we would hear your voice loudly and clearly and respond to you in Jesus' name. Amen.